0: All right. Welcome to another app episode of Pathway to Purpose. I'm super excited. I haven't had an interview in a while and I I love interviews. I just do. It's one of my favorite things. And I met this guest literally on LinkedIn. I was doing a lot of work on LinkedIn and her what she was doing on in her professional life and probably personal life um, really kind of struck a chord. I reached out to her randomly on messenger. Um, and we were kind of going back and forth and I said, I got to learn about what you're doing. And, um, because it's a fascinating interest of mine due to my own personal experience. And Carly Dusset is is a nurse and has had quite a journey in her nursing world, which we we talked about a bit. But also has been doing some really amazing things in the mental health world uh, around PTSD, uh, traumatic brain injury, working with vets, and the use of psychedelics. And um, I was just so impressed by her energy, our conversation. And I'm just excited about a lot of different things that are coming up. And I know there's a lot of m- maybe misinformation or very unclear. And there's a lot of things that are done in, in this country, but in other countries, which she has experience in. And I was just like super fascinated. So Carly, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Todd, for having me.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit, a little bit about your background and kind of your your journey, you know, if you don't mind. I know it's kind of global, but I was like super impressed by your journey for sure.
1: So I you want to start like where my my life journey or my nursing journey.
0: Kind of a blend. How does that yeah. sound? Can we do that?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I've been a nurse for 11 ish, 11 ish years. Um, mm. before, right before that, I was an EMT, uh, for six years. So I have the pre-hospital experience and then worked my way through nursing school and became a nurse. And I started off in substance abuse and then urgent care. And then my goal was ER and my goal was actually to be a flight nurse however once i made it to the er my career goals and aspirations really started to change so i spent a total of four and a half years in the emergency room um and things started to shift for me there okay tell me
0: i just want to i want to digress for a second because when we talked yesterday one of my initial goals. I was an army medic in in the uh, in the army, and I went to nursing school for the sole purpose of like I want to work on a helicopter. And back in the day, and I'm dating <laughs> myself. Stallone was in this movie Cliffhanger, and I was like, I want to be that guy, and that was like my dream. And then, mm-hmm. like probably a, a few years into my nursing journey it shifted like yours so yeah. um, anyway i wanted to say say that and share that for sure because when we were talking yesterday i was like oh my god that's so funny i so- know i
1: love that we have that in common because that was my that was my career goal and i was set on it And i was like i'm gonna fly in the helicopters and help the most physically traumatized people that was that was my goal
0: Okay. Yeah. So what shifted? So tell me a little bit about that. Like, where does this, what happened?
1: I was working in the ER and I mean, I had my first, my first child. So, um, you know, motherhood tends to shift a lot for people. And it Mm -hmm. definitely did for me, um, where I wanted to raise my children better than what my parents had did. And I had some, a lot of trauma in my childhood and, I've learned how to not shift blame onto that. They did the best they could with the resources that they had, but I definitely was carrying a lot of that with me, a lot of unresolved trauma. And now I'm working in an emergency room. I have a young young son at home, and I'm watching. All I wanted to do was help people, and I felt that in the ER, even though like that's where you really get to see the difference of helping people, you can go from dead to alive, <laughs> I also found that that wasn't true most of the time, you go from dead to more dead. Um, and it just was an ever ending cycle of people coming through and not really getting the resources that they need, not really getting the help that they need. They were so upset with the system and how broken it was. And it just, it became really heartbreaking for me and it really burnt me out. And then I hated how ER staff treated mental health patients that were in crisis. Um, nobody had the patience for it. And that really didn't sit well with me. My, I, know, I became a nurse to help anybody. It doesn't matter what type of crisis that you're in, I'm going to be there for you and I'm going to show up for you for it. But ER staff, um, they wanted everything else but the mental health crisis. So every time we'd have one come in the door, they'd look to me and say, hey, Carly, we got one for you. So I found out that I was really, really good at de-escalating patients who were in this emotional crisis that a lot of times turns violent and I could calm them. So that started to shift my perception of where, you know, my skill set lied. I, yeah, I could run codes, but nobody likes breaking grandma's ribs. And I, I just, it, it, it was awful. I was crying every shift after a code um and wasn't helping people but when i had people in crisis mental health crisis come in and they went from handcuffs to calm just because i could sit with them and listen to them i felt like i made a difference so that was the start of my shift of where my career goals came were going and in the midst of in the in the ER, you know, as my home life with my my son, who had to go through multiple surgeries in infancy. And, you know, my husband, we're still newlyweds and navigating all of that and blended family on top of it, being a stepmom, there was a lot to navigate and learn. And my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, okay, we've got we got married, we got kids. We have a house career. Now what <laughs> is this just what we do every day for the rest of our lives as we raise our children? And, you know, this was all pre COVID as well. We decided we were looking at the world and, Oh, the world, the state of the world was just like, wouldn't bring children into, we want to make the world better. We want to keep our children safe. We decided we wanted to, uh, land in another country in a place where we could live sustainably learn how to grow our own food and live off grid and really get back to our roots so that's what we did uh we went to costa rica and uh our first trip there for our fifth wedding anniversary we went without our son we went by ourselves and we um our first day there we had we sat with um shaman brothers in the jungle of Costa Rica and had a five MEO DMT ceremony. And it was my first psychedelic experience in a ceremonial space. And it just radically took everything that I already knew was changing inside me and brought it to the forefront.
0: Mm. So for those who are listening and don't understand what you know, the substances that you took, can you tell us a little bit about that? And then share a little bit about what changed for you with that.
1: So 5-MeO-DMT is also known as the God molecule. Um, It is, there are two ways that it's derived. You can either have it derived synthetically or um, in its original form from the the Bufo alvarius toad. Um, It's a venom and you smoke it. And I was fortunate enough to have ethically sourced medicine from these amazing shaman brothers that are, you know, uh, indigenous to Costa Rica and have been serving medicine in their family and had been passed through their lineage. And it is a very, it can be a very life-changing experience, not for everybody. Everybody's different. But for me, it was life before and life after. And for full transparency, I did not know what I was getting into. I knew it was a psychedelic and I had an inkling, but I had such a high anxiety at the time that I knew if I researched it, like my nurse, the nurse in me wanted to do, I would have gotten too terrified and backed out. My husband did all the research. My husband set everything up and he is somebody that I full trust in. And I just had to really lean into that. And obviously now I know a whole heck of a lot more, but going into it, I went in blind and I don't recommend that, but that's simply what I did. And that's why I, another reason why I do the work that I do so I can help people be educated and know what they're getting themselves into. But I had, I was fortunate enough that I had an incredible experience and The medicine itself only lasts about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. The whole experience is very short. Um, But when you're in it, you have no concept of time, space, uh, or reality in this realm. And after the experience, I got to feel what it was like to have a regulated nervous system for the first time in my life. I knew I was anxious but didn't know how much it was really impacting my mental health and my day-to-day life. And I had suffered um, postpartum anxiety after I had my son and post like with severe panic attacks. And I thought I had gotten them under control. I utilized uh, talk therapy and conventional medications, including Lexapro and Ativan. Um, And I was still technically postpartum at this point in my life. I mean, my son was only three years old at the time. So, um, everything shifted. I mean, on the way to the ceremony, driving in Costa Rica, I was having panic attacks in the car. I couldn't breathe holding on to the holding on to the handle, white knuckling it. Like I thought we were just going to die at every turn. And yeah, granted it is, definitely different driving there but my reaction was so like extreme and my husband like could, didn't even know what to do to help me and i like had panic attacks before leaving for a trip i was a wreck and then after uh, after we left um there uh the place that we were at and we're driving to our next destination i'm out the window, like not fully out the window, but I'm out the window, holding my phone out the window, taking pictures and fully just able to enjoy where we were and what we were doing. It was just such a radical change. And that change stuck. Hmm. Like that change stuck with me um, for over six months until there was an, I had um, gone through another traumatic experience and which that one, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it involves kids and just being respectful of that, but of their privacy. Um, But for those six months, I truly got to experience life from a regulated space where I, even in the ER, it changed like every emergency. I brought the calm to the storm. It didn't matter what code, what mental health crisis. I wasn't, a rack i wasn't just like on edge anymore i wasn't in fight or flight i was able to bring literally just the calm and still perform and get everybody in a more relaxed state which that is my goal as a nurse my goal as a nurse is to be able to help people in crisis and and they're the ones in that activated fight or flight state they're the ones having the bad day it's my job to get them to feel better physically and mentally And that really helped me tap into my abilities to do that and stay doing that. And it just, that stuck with me. And then I just dove into learning more about psychedelics and it just changed everything for me. Wow. So,
0: you know, there's so much that you just shared like that, that I'm so curious about. And I, I got to make this disclaimer just for public reasons. You know, we are not medical professionals in the sense that we recommend this, this is purely educational consult with a physician for any mental health challenges. These are just, this is just educational. So I got to make that disclaimer here. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I started to, I really kind of tuned into like where you were before. Right. So, and I want to expound upon, you know, the psychedelics and then what you've done and what you continue to do. Like you started to work at the ER. I'm a healthcare professional. I worked in a, a medical surgical unit, which is a standard unit. And we saw people code and I then I transferred to ICU and I wound up working in ICU for a while. And I've had a lot of experience in this, and I never thought much about it, but I remember being in codes on the unit and being stressed out about them. But as I gotten better at running and being part of them in the ICU, I felt a little more comfortable, but I was stressed. But the one thing I noticed, I remember um, that we coded somebody in a unit, in the unit, and the person passed and i was always like i looked up i kind of like i wonder where this person is now but then boom oh i got another patient i'm grabbing a donut on my way to eat and then i had to deal with another patient and talking to like family like nothing happened yeah like this like compartmental like shove it in a box type of thing that healthcare workers professionals, nurses, and anybody that kind of sees this stuff. um, We don't even think twice about it. I think COVID really blew the doors off of it. Like, holy cow, we're experiencing trauma now. Like, I remember I was coaching a client who was a nurse practitioner um, during COVID. And I worked through COVID, but she was knee deep in it. Like, And we would talk. And she was really exhibiting simple uh symptoms of like battle fatigue um like where people need to come off the front line to rest like if you ever watch uh military shows like band of brothers or something like that like these guys like were awesome soldiers and they perform well but they just couldn't do it they needed a rest Does yeah. you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah and compassion fatigue and your the secondary trauma it's 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 post-traumatic stress and it's just healthcare workers are not acknowledged as well as say veterans even police or fire when it comes to dealing with this type of trauma and covid really did blow blow the top on how much stress is put on the front lines and you know i was so fortunate enough that I was already burnt from all of this that I didn't work once during COVID. And I think it was the universe saying like that I, I wouldn't have been able to do it because of where I was mentally and just wanting to, that I knew I needed a change and that being a flight nurse was not where I needed to be. That wasn't, that wasn't my specific skill set. but I just, everything that healthcare workers went through for COVID, they're still paying for.
0: Yeah. And you know, what really got me thinking about this was like my own experience with my brain tumor. Like I, I looked at like how I was living my life and I was just like, you know, I got to fundamentally change my life cause like life's short. And then I realized that my whole life I had this projection that I was, li- I share this, that I was living with the, the car. Like if you, like you're driving a car with the foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. And I was like in constant, a lot of constant fight or flight due to trauma in my childhood that I started to really look at it in that way. And I was like, holy crap. And like the reality was I didn't need to be in fight and flight, but my brain was there. And that brought it up for me. But when you were sharing, About your, you know, you wanted to be a flight nurse and your experience in the ER. You started to talk about how unresolved trauma started to show up for you. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, unresolved childhood trauma, people, and my biggest thing that I noticed that comes up with me is that. How I find that it shows up in the ER, how it showed up in the ER for me was like, and in my own self, is that when I'm silenced, when people don't respect what I have to say, my opinion, don't want to hear my story, don't want to hear my logic, my reasoning behind my actions or my thought process was a huge trigger for me. And I noticed in the ER so many patients were silenced by providers and other healthcare workers and watching that watching patients be have them gaslit and not believed and that was one of the biggest issues for me and it it just watching that in a way where you had doctors write off their symptoms and what they're feeling and that really just hit home and it really bothered me. And it just, I couldn't shake it. Like I couldn't connect with my co- coworkers because of how they handled patients and how they write, wrote them off. And I'm like, they're good people. I like them. They're good nurses, but why do they continuously take what patients say and write it off? And that was one of my biggest issues there.
0: Mm. It's interesting how you noticed That your unresolved stuff played out, right? And I think, and I'll speak for myself, like I was pretty self-aware, but I think there was an element that I was really not aware. Did you find that there was an element you weren't aware of?
1: Oh, absolutely. This is all hindsight. You know what I mean? Hindsight is always 20-20. I just knew while I was in the midst of it that it was, it wasn't right. You know what I mean? I didn't have the depth or awareness that I have now. I just knew that it did not bode well with me. And that was where my biggest issue came up with the mental health patients that came in with crisis that everybody would be like, go get the B-52s. Come on. that's They need somebody to listen to them. They don't need to be medicated out the gills just to shut them up so you're comfortable. And that really, that's what bugged me. That's what hurt. That's what I couldn't understand and still really have difficulties with because I still see it to this day. And I see it because I currently work um, in a state psychiatric hospital. I work with not guilty by reason of insanity. I work with extremely mentally ill patients and it still happens.
0: Mm. Mm. you know it's funny not funny laughing funny but there seems to be like you see it everywhere like that there's this big focus on mental health awareness mental health understanding it's probably been going on for the last couple maybe a couple i'm saying a couple years um but i'm probably very inaccurate on that but it seems like they are they've put more focus on it. Has it gotten better, the same, or what would you say?
1: It's really hard for me to discern because um, I didn't work bedside for three years. Um, So a little bit more in my history of when we decided to go to Costa Rica and move to Costa Rica. So after our first trip down there, and that'll be five years ago in November, um, we bought we bought a farm 3 months after that and we moved 3 months after that. So we moved that was may may or june of 20 oh goodness i can't do math. It'll it'll be 5 years ago and in, in this coming june it'll be 5 years that we moved. So i was i went down to per diem in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And we moved down to Costa Rica and I was flying back to Rhode Island every three months to beat my quota uh, of shifts that I had to had to work per quarter in order to stay employed in the ER. So I was doing that every three months, flying back to Rhode Island, working and then going back to Costa Rica. And then I worked all of when did COVID hit? Uh, March
0: of 2020.
1: Okay. So I worked all of January of 2020, got back to Costa Rica, February 1st of 2020, and then COVID hit mid-March.
0: And you were in Costa Rica.
1: I was in Costa Rica with my husband and son. So they closed the borders. Uh, They closed the borders and... We were not in a position for us all to go back to Rhode Island. We were in the midst of working our farm, built like uh, planting fruits, doing all the earthwork on our farm on our homestead. And my husband was like, "This is a global pandemic. I'm not going back to Rhode Island, where food scarcity is a could be a real thing, where we're not able to grow our own food." where you're locked down, where it's cold, you literally like there's, he's like, I'm not going back there. I don't want my family back there. And I I looked at him and I was like, I could go to New York and work in the ER for 10 grand a week and I could help and I can do all these things and I can make all the money we need to build our house. And he looked at me and he's like, no. <laughs> he's like, I love you, I won't stop you. He's like, but I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah.
0: So timeline wise, you go down in like the the whole Costa Rica thing kind of, I want to like for our audience, I want to get this timeline a bit. So we're not because I have so many things I want to unpack with you. Um, So you went, you had a psychedelic experience, uh, life changing, shifted, things like that. Like from there, were you like, hey, we got to come down here more? Like, what was that like? What was the journey to you getting the house and a farm and like doing all that down in Costa Rica?
1: So we had already like in my my heart and soul, I already knew before any psychedelic experience that we wanted to invest in a place and a homestead for, the, for children, our children, our grandchildren, for future generations of our family. We knew that's what we wanted to do, that, that we could invest in a place that could be self-sustainable year-round, and that food could be grown year-round, and it would be a safe haven for our family, an investment for our family, um, financial investment for our future, all of those things. So that was our goal as a family. the i was terrified (laughs) like so terrified to actually pull the trigger and make these things happen i was like yes i know these are great things but actually doing it that fear that anxiety was just such a tight clench on me right and so after My first, our first trip down there to scout it out and to, to look around and see if this was possible. And my five MEO journey, it allowed that fear to dissipate. It was gone. And I knew I was like, it just solidified. Yeah. My hub. This is what we need to do for our family to set us up for future generations to build, you know, financial security for future generations and our family, everything. I'm like, this is the way to do it. And it allowed that fear just, it just melted away. And it allowed my husband and I to laser focus in on setting our goals and tackling them. And without, you know, it just put blinders on for our ability to be able to set the goals and, 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 and hit them. And that's what we did. So we, after that first trip, we moved six months later we had bought our farm. We owned it. Like, and we didn't buy a house. We bought l- raw land. We bought five acres of, it was some fruit trees were planted, but it was a lot of cow pasture and some jungle.
0: You know what I like that you said and you shared, and I wrote this down cause I wanted to come back to it. You were like, okay, we're married. We're working. <laughs> we've got kids like, and we're like, is this what we're supposed to do? Right? Yeah. And I think like 90, I'm gonna, I don't know, I'm making rough, uneducated judgments. Like 80, 90 percent of the population, that's what they roll on, right? Like I know. Yeah. Have kids work Check. like gr- and grind it out, right? And then you know it's like okay when the kids get out and we can do this, you could get sick. A lot could happen, which I talk a lot about, like learning to enjoy the journey because you see people getting sicker earlier. I feel getting more cancers, younger, getting things, life-changing stuff happening sooner. So yeah. I love when you said that, like, can you just share a little bit more about that for you and and like how that, ha- like what you guys kind of were thinking? Cause I think it's a great, like, that, that like was like, wow, cool, you know.
1: I mean, it was weird. Like, we literally were like, we looked at each other and we're like, okay, now what? We did the societal checkboxes that are supposed to, quote, bring you happiness and fulfillment. And we're looking at each other and we're like, there's got to be more. Literally, that was it. Like, there has to be more to life than this. And we need to find it because our children deserve better.
0: And was that, did that birth the idea of going to the country, going to that? Was that like, hey, this is what we gotta.
1: Yeah, it did. That That just, that was the beginning of planning and deciding that where we were going to invest our finances into. And it just kept growing and we didn't stop it. And my husband was a, such a calm driving force behind it, pushing, saying, this is the way. And my fear and anxiety was what was trying to hold us back. And the 5-MEO experience is what burst me wide open into pushing forward.
0: So was he like, hey, maybe you should look into this because this may help you on our journey? Was that where he was kind of coming from? Or were you like...
1: no, and that's a great question because he was the one, he's like, I think this would be really good for us. That's how he put it. He's like, he's like, I, I just, he's, that's all he said. He was, I think this would be really good for us. I think it would be good for us together, like as a couple and as individuals, I think it would be great. And I was like, I'm going to trust you on that. Full trust. that's it. I went in full trust. My husband is one of the few people in the world that I put all of my 100 percent trust in. And. Yeah, he was right. Wow. And
0: so I, I think that's awesome. So I looked at your LinkedIn profile and I was looking, you know, psychedelic nurse like I like I'm very fascinated with trauma, PTSD. I listen to a lot of podcasts, one of my favorite being Jocko Willink, and they talk about the combat, the the stress of the special operators, military people, and they've exhausted a lot of their treatment options here with no avail. A lot of suicide in the special operations community as well as in the veteran community. Um, due to like, hey, breacher syndrome traumatic brain injury stuff, PTSD and experience stuff. And I think, you know, I reflect on, you know, even people having traumatic childhoods and whatever, um, how they play out. Um, I've been really fascinated about it, but also have heard some real positive uh, research that was done out of Johns Hopkins. Tell us a little bit about this journey in your career with this and how this kind of evolved. Can you share that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I had mentioned that I, my family had gone through some trauma and it was right before we moved to Costa Rica. So that really set us up for a mental health crisis while with a big international move. So this all plays a part in how I got into this is I was down living our quote, dream. and I became the most depressed I've ever been in my life. I was not functioning. Um, and I was actively suicidal. And no matter what I did, how much I meditated, how healthy I was eating, I was doing everything. you know, I had tried talk therapy. I had done, I had done the the pharmaceutical route. So I felt like I had exhausted the conventional, and even, you know, off the cuff with like meditation and diet and mindset work. And I still could not pull myself out of this really deep, dark place. And I was sitting, I had such like a mental breakdown and I was, you know, it was like the gun and mouth moment for me. And it was terrifying. I didn't have a gun, but I was in my car in a monsoon, ready to go drive off the side of a mountain. And it wouldn't have taken much effort. All I had to do is put the car in reverse and let it go. And the only thing that saved me, or stopped me in that moment was seeing my son in the window, staring at me. And I knew I needed i needed to get out of the hole.
0: Mm. wow. That's hard.
1: So I'm in Central America, where obviously resources are very different than here. And one of the readily available resources was ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And so um, the opportunity presented itself for me to go and sit in an ayahuasca ceremony about a week and a half after that uh, incident. And... It was the most miserable night of my life. (laughs) Um, It was not pleasant. It was the most mentally exhausting night for me. It's a, you know, in traditional ceremonies, you take it at night, you're up all night. It's a tea that's brewed um, that you drink, a bitter bitter tea. Um, And I just laid on the floor in the fetal position for eight hours crying a mess and they offer the drink three times throughout the evening I couldn't even do it more than once and I had to accept that and just you know let it do its thing and I just accept every wave over me and in the days that followed that veil that very dark veil that had covered me lifted and that awful dark place I was in was no longer. And over the course of the next few months, my mental health and tapping into resources and alternative therapies there with just regular chiropractics and some reflexology and doing more breath work and meditation and um, bringing more self-awareness and doing more research on mental health and now on psychedelics because it. Quite literally saved my life. I just started to dive into learning more about it and why isn't this more commonly used? I'm a nurse, I did all the things I was supposed to do, and none of it helped me. Yet here I am, 2,400 miles away from home in a developing country, doing drugs in the middle of the jungle drugs in the middle of the jungle and it changed everything and it saved me and it helped me shift my perspective perspective it helped lift that awful veil and it helped me regain control over my life my mental health being a present mother for my child and a present wife
0: Mm. so it sounds like you had a miserable but good experience if that kind of so, and, awesome. I've li- <laughs> and I've, I've listened to some people that have experienced and have done that, like there's coaching involved and right. And somebody yeah. guiding you and there's a lot of different resources available, but it's not like I'm being devil's advocate here. It's not a, a quick fix and it doesn't always work.
1: Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I come from the standpoint as nothing is, you know, not anything in this world is good for everybody. It's not. Yeah. Everybody requires their own individual needs and their individual treatment plans, and what works for one doesn't always work for another. Um, I just was fortunate to find what worked for me, and that wasn't my first. That wasn't my only ceremony. I went and sat with two more. Um, two more ceremonies over the course of a year. Um, and the other ceremonies were not that, were not anything like the first. Um, I think it was because it was obviously because of the mental state that I was in um, where it was so challenging for me and the other ones while still challenge, well, my second ceremony that I sat in was probably one of the most beautiful nights I've ever had in my life. And it brought around so much self-awareness and opened my heart up in ways that I didn't think possible, um, for people, even, you know, understanding other people's perspective when it comes to hurt, pain, trauma. And it helped me work through a lot, a lot of different things. It opened up the pathways for me to do the work. That's what it did. It wasn't a magic fix. It was simply opening up the door, a crack, so I could push it open.
0: Wow. That's a great way to to share about that. Because I think it's easy, especially in our microwave lives here, instant, you know, coffee and instant, like, oatmeal, right? <laughs> you know, like... We let's find the quick fix, like you know, we're 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 finding medications for weight loss. We're finding all this stuff that's quick and takes takes us uh, in spots that probably aren't well, aren't, aren't the best, right? But
1: also, human suffering is so awful, and I think people just looked for any way to quickly get relief from this chronic state of human suffering. So. To play devil's advocate, I get why people are looking for something and some relief because they've been suffering for so long.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, you know, and I agree. I, you know, it's it's funny. Um, And I want to share this story about our, our conversation yesterday about myself that I still chuckled about probably for 24 hours and, and, and prior to even getting on the phone was like, uh, or on this call was, you know, I had a lot of trauma. I partied like a rock star back in the day. Right. Right there and, with you. And, um, you know, I was a grateful dead fan and did the psych, you know, the, Hey, like, and there, honestly, some of the experience that I had was like, I would do stuff and like go for hikes in the woods all day. And I felt like the, you know, the earth was breathing. But when I was sharing my story with you, and I just want to say this to the people that are listening, I was like, yeah, you know, what we did as, what everyone did as kids. And you're like, no, Todd, that's what traumatized kids do. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, so... My whole growing up, like, because I was around people that partied and were like, Well, who doesn't party? And in reality, when I look back on it, like, there's this whole cohort of kids that, like, were quote unquote, like, did regular things. (laughs) So today, I'm like, Hmm, Carly makes sense there, right.
1: All those maladaptive coping mechanisms come through because you're just looking for relief from your childhood trauma and your suffering. That's what it is. And the people that don't face that trauma in a younger age, it carries on into your late 20s, your 30s, your, for the rest of your life. And that's where I feel like addiction stems from and where people get led and stay down a awful path.
0: Yeah. And I hear people like I listen to a lot of different podcasts and different arenas, but a lot of topics that kind of touch on it. And Jocko has had a, a couple people that talk about the psychedelics, but also talk a lot about the trauma and and, and some of the great things that some of the that is doing in other countries to help as a last kind of resort where things haven't really worked for mm-hmm. people. Um, I think, and plus I, you know, I've listened to Jordan Peterson. He interviewed that person who did the study, can't quote the name at Johns Hopkins on, on psychedelics. And I think, I'm not sure what they, was it psilocybin? They, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that study at all.
1: I'm not, I know that they've done a few at this point as well. So I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about exactly which specific one.
0: So talk to me now, like you've had this experience and now you're helping others. Like, tell us this little journey for you and where you're at with it. I know some of my nurse friends, some of my nurse colleagues and myself included uh, are really curious about this.
1: So after these experiences and I come out of my awful depression fog and I am now okay with being in Costa Rica, I'm learning the culture, learning, you know, all of the things. And I was introduced to a man named Martin Polanco, who is the founder of The Mission Within. He was introduced to me because somebody knew I was an ER nurse and somebody knew he was looking for ER nurses. So. We were introduced, and we, you know, had a few meetings and learn about his work. And he works with predominantly special ops uh, veterans uh, who have post traumatic stress, mild TBI, who seek out treatment with ibogaine and 5meo DMT. So there are cardiac implications with ibogaine specifically. Um, So it requires cardiac monitoring throughout the treatment, as well as screening them beforehand to ensure safety. And Martin has been working with the medicine for a long time. He worked at Crossroads, an addiction treatment center in Mexico that works with Ibogaine because Ibogaine is also well known for helping with addiction and on top of PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And he shifted focus from addiction to the veterans. Um, So he was in Costa Rica wanting to open up a retreat center. And so I went on board with him to help him and working with veterans that were coming down there and essentially being a quote bedside nurse for them. And I did that for a while until COVID hit and borders shut and all the things. And he ended up going back to Mexico Uh, where he was more established and borders didn't close. So the Mission Within, based in Mexico, and he asked me if I would work remotely to screen the veterans for harm reduction purposes so I could catch red flags and talk to people and see, you know, do a comprehensive medical history, psychiatric history, trauma history, um, to ensure safety. So that is what I've been doing. And I also now... Work with Heroic Hearts Foundation and Sabo Foundation, um, helping people be safer because that is the goal here. Harm reduction. Ensure that, you know, people are going to seek out their treatment, when other treatment options when the current system has failed them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is. It's sad. These people come to us and it is like we've exhausted every other modality. They have done everything they were asked to do. They have taken every medication they were asked to take, and they are still suffering. They still cannot gain control of their symptomology, whether, you know, and there's so much overlap between post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. The symptomology is so hard to discern as long as unless you have a brain scan that points, yes, definitely TBI, but then You know, just if you've had blast exposure, you've had a brain injury. So and the and you know, these guys are being told, well, no, you're fine. They're being gaslit. They're being, you know, their symptoms are being diminished. They're telling they're fine, or you should be making more progress than this. And this is the same story I hear on repeat over and over and over again. And all I hear is that your government has failed you miserably. And Working with predominantly special ops guys, what I well not predominantly a lot of veterans is just uh, conventional veterans as well is that the significant amount of childhood trauma that these vets come to the table with before they even you know thought the military wasn't out for them mm. and the theme that I hear over and over and over again is. I knew what I was getting into when I went to war. I can handle that. Well, it's the childhood trauma that haunts them.
0: I could see that that's, that's pretty awesome that you bring that up. Cause I remember, you know, a couple of friends of mine or one in particular that I was, I served with, um, he went in sooner than I, a little bit older than me. But his was like, he was a troublemaker and the court was like military or jail, like back in the, in those, right? you know what I mean? So, you know, people aren't just troublemakers because they're troublemakers, right?
1: No, that all behavior is <laughs> communication. And if you're, especially in children and if their behavior is, is, is not appropriate, there's something deeper going on. And sure, usually sure. it's connected to some type of trauma, whether that is home, family trauma, school, tra- school trauma, because school trauma is pretty prevalent. Um, you know, there's I, the stories that I have been told. I, I have no words for it. I just sit and cry with these men on the phone and allow them to finally bear their souls because. They've never been allowed to. They've mm. been told to suck it up, Buttercup. You're you're an Army Ranger. What are you? You're fine.
0: Well, that's what they taught us um, yeah. in the military: suck it up and drive on. You put uh-huh. it, you lock it in a box. Mm-hmm. And I think there's certain times that that's okay, but like you can't live your life on on that. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're taught to compartmentalize it and never process it. And you're right. Compartmentalization in order to complete a job that you've signed up for is important. And that does have a place. However, this is where the debriefing comes in and the integration comes in. And those are some of the most important things to help people process and grow that are just glazed over
0: yeah you know it's interesting that you share that like i've had on here on my podcast some survivors of you know like like survivors of you know like cancer and like some total gut punches and they come on here and they share their story um and after we kind of talk afterwards we're like that was so awesome for me like just talking and sharing their story that people can can listen to and maybe learn and or whatever just kind of sharing it is is powerful you know what i mean
1: and sharing it in a safe place where they are seen heard and validated in their lived experience instead of somebody trying to slap a diagnosis on them instead of really just being that safe place for them they're just like we're gonna pathologize you in any which way possible how is that validating of their experience it's not so what you're doing and providing that safe place for people that's so important
0: and what i you know it's funny i'm going to share this because this came up as you were just talking like you know i i got help at an early age And which is rare. Like the counselor that I worked with for years was like, Todd, nobody at your age would come talk to somebody, but I was, I was miserable. Like there was like, I didn't want to feel like, and I'll I'll use shit like every day. And the alcohol didn't work after a while. Like that stuff just doesn't work. So (laughs) what I found was I needed to change like, cause obviously all my friends were still doing that. So they encouraged me to go to recovery, like AA and the people in there. I, I, I at first I was very resistant to it. I was like, this sucks, this isn't good. Like, but as I, they said, just keep going. And I kept going and I started to develop connection and people that have had similar experiences, sharing their stories and their shame or whatever really was a powerful experience. And I think, you know, that movement, 12 steps and doing that work was actually a big driving force for me to develop a spiritual experience. Cause I think there's a spiritual malady. And do you feel like with some trauma, like some of the healing, cause I was listening to somebody who talked about psychedelics and another way where some of these people that have had some great experiences with them, it helped them to connect to kind of a, a, a you know, I'm going to use a, a term, a power greater than themselves. I don't want to use whatever belief system people have. Um, that was one thing that it really brought forth was this like connection to something more than them and also the ability to have a very different perspective of their experience of what that was and those are two big points that were brought forth to me but then i thought about the 12-step work so i know i threw a lot there what are your thoughts on that
1: um it absolutely can bring forth a lot of spirituality in people it can bring them closer to whatever their belief system is in a higher power i've had people come through that are of all denominations and you know a lot of people at first fear if it would change their perception on their belief systems. And what I've found is that not that it changes it, it deepens it. And I'm not just saying in like a religious go-to-church dogmatic type way. I'm talking in a way of it does exactly what you're saying. It shifts your – it brings you closer to God, whatever God that may be, and allows you to zoom out. Zoom out on your lived experience so you can – perceptualize other people's lived experience and hold them in a greater capacity for compassion.
0: Mm. Yeah. I love that. And when I heard him share that, I was like, wow, like, um, you know, to be honest, like psychedelics probably isn't for everybody, right? It's for maybe treatment resistant. Everything kind of has failed and all that. But for those people that are really maybe scared of it, or hey, this is like a no on their box, right? And there are things they're going to do. I started to really think about some more, some different modalities that would exclude that. And that's really starting to find a spiritual connection. And to your point, because I think the dogma of religion and Mm -hmm. religion is what actually holds people back to being open to the idea of connecting to something bigger than themselves. Um, and also, um, when you're able to kind of start to view this stuck part or this trauma part outside of yourself, um, then you could also maybe look at it from that larger view. You know what I mean? Um, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so now you're working with people. You're starting to, you're doing some of this stuff. So where are you in this journey? What's next for you? Like, what are you hoping to do? Because I want to hear a little bit about, you know, this journey as as it's going for you. Like you're you're helping in this area. What do you want to see happen and what do you want to do and what's actually
1: going? So I absolutely love what I do. Um, I never imagined this is where my career would take me. And I have many goals that I am working on currently. Um, you know, as you know, the legalities in the U.S. are just evolving rapidly as veterans are at the forefront for pushing for, for these tra- these treatments to become either decriminalized or legalized in order for, you know, accessibility to open up so they don't have to travel out of the country, but we know how fast the U S government moves and sad yeah. pace at, at times. So I'm also have the privilege to be involved with different studies too, through the university of Texas and doing their screening process, um, which is really amazing and interesting to see as their findings get, you know, documented and get published. And I would love to see this become more accessible to people. So So my goal, my, my personally, my personal professional goal is I have this beautiful homestead in Costa Rica been building my house there. It's not done, but it's getting there. My goal is once my house is done is to build a retreat center on my farm. And I want to serve all those that serve. And I want to bring, um, be able to serve not only veterans, police, fire, healthcare workers, even teachers, because they serve, and um, any victims of, of trauma, whether that be war trauma, families that have been victims of war, um, domestic violence, survivors, and um, hold retreats for them. and have paid retreats for people who can afford it and have funding for those who can't. So it can increase, uh, the accessibility and not only would these be meta plant, you know, different types of psychedelics, but also multimodality, whether it's involving, um, different type of therapeutic practices, um, body work practices, um, and also learning about connecting with nature and our food systems. Everything is farm-to-table there um, via regenerative, organic regenerative permaculture practices. So people can even give them the opportunity to stay long-term if they're looking to integrate their experience and volunteer at the farm. Um, so my goal is to help more people in that capacity and turn whatever profits I make into a school in the community there. Cause it's really needed.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, and you know, at the end of our, our conversation, I have so much more. If you have a few more minutes, um, um we want to be able to, you know, where people can find you and, and if they have questions. So, I'm fascinated by a lot of this, obviously, like there hasn't been you know, you know, I thought about my own journey, and right now, I've been working on um more you know non psychedelic ways, you know, for a few reasons. um and probably the 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 foremost is I've had brain surgery. there's not safety data on any of that uh, for somebody that had brain surgery or brain tumors <laughs> or anything like that. So I, it's one of those things. But I've, I've looked at a lot of, you know, I started to look at this deeply, and I know that I'm, I'm friends and close personal with some counselors that do the IFS work, which is internal family systems, which has, from a therapy perspective, has been, I think, really well in helping with people with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, that book, The Body Keeps the Score, actually yeah for those that are interested the book is the body keeps the score I learned about it actually from listening to jocko's podcast on this Navy seal that had a lot of trauma and he was talking about that and he talked about gut health uh which I think is important because that they say communicates a little bit to the brain which I think is super important um and I've been focusing on that and looking at um mind, you know, how our habits of thinking I've been working with clients on that. But the other thing I've been really focused on, cause you talked about this kind of neurological, like rebalancing, right? Uh, am I saying
1: that term correctly? Like nervous system regulation,
0: nervous system regulation. There's been a, a lot that I've been hearing about with, you know, not only psychedelics, but doing some really deep breath
1: work with that. Mm-hmm. Um, There's
0: Yeah.
1: Breath work and our veterans also utilize things like stellate ganglion blocks that seem to help regulate the nervous system and get them out of fight or flight, but it's short term. And then there are legal psychedelics that seem to help with that, but also more on the short term and need repetitive uses ketamine treatments.
0: Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, no, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, now for somebody that's like, you know, you know, I'm a mess, (laughs) you know, like, like what else, you know, I don't know where else to go. Like, what would you share? And this is purely educational for those listening. What would you share? You know,
1: Uh, honestly, if you're really struggling and you're looking at alternative modalities, ketamine treatments would be the way to go currently because it is legal. Um, And they're popping up more and more places. Looking for a trauma-informed therapist, not just your run-of-the-mill therapist, somebody that can hold that space for you um, in a way that will allow you to process it and not make you feel less than or shameful uh, is really, really important. Um, breathwork, I also love breathwork. However, one note on breathwork, there are different types of breathwork. And I'm not what you say. I am not the, I'm not a complete expert at breath work. However, there we have had I've had discussions with other professionals in the field is that some breath work can also activate your fight or flight response. So you have to find the one that works for you. And if you notice that it is activating that response with you, that's not the right modality. You have to find something, a different one, because you can stimulate your vagus nerve. Another type of therapy that has really been gaining traction and helping with trauma is EMDR. So that can, that is another modality that really should be utilized more regularly with people who have experienced trauma and looking to regulate their nervous system because they're in that constant state of fight or flight.
0: Mm. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Now, as far as the psychedelics are concerned, what, what are, what's kind of out there and just for the, the person that may be a little uneducated on them, Um, just so people understand what they are and, and some of the things.
1: I mean, there's great documentaries on Netflix. Um, it's based off the book, how to change your mind by Michael Pollan. And so that is a great place to start. Almost everybody has Netflix and you can just sit there and watch.
0: Mm, Okay. Or
1: or read his book.
0: Okay. How to change your mind. Love that. Love that. Um, So the other thing, you know, it's kind of a couple little things is, you know, getting back to the healthcare workers kind of a passion project of mine. I got a couple that have gone on is I started to look at my own journey and clients that I've coached that happen to be health professionals that I've been working with is I started to like, like start to look deeper at like you know, because nurses in general are in a helping profession that maybe there are some unresolved traumas that come to the plate by just entering the profession, Mm -hmm. you know, like, hey, I want to do this and have that. Like, there's this part of me, it's not based on any data or facts or anything that think that they bring these traumas, they get exacerbated in the profession. I've been hearing more about suicide among nurses, but also, you know, just a lot of different behaviors. Right. And how the profession is and amongst themselves. Right. Do you have any opinion on that?
1: I mean, like, like I said, who's there to take care of nurses? I mean, there's nobody and it is, it's a woman dominated field still. So, and you know, a lot of them are mothers, so you're taking care of your families and then you're taking care of patients. And what I've noticed, especially since stepping back into the bedside role in a different capacity as a psychiatric nurse, I have learned is that nurses are burnt out and they don't have support. They don't have the skill set to bring the calm to other people's storm because they have storms of their own. And until we get the resources to really help our healthcare workers, our police, fire, first responders, veterans, and put these resources at the forefront and make it a part of regular daily conversation and a part of our hiring process that your mental health is at the forefront. And we want that to be taken care of and ensure that better processes and resources are put in place we're going to continue to see the same issues so that we need to take care of our own you can't pour from an empty cup you know we hear that all the time and we're just continuously pouring all of ourselves into other people and without anybody saying hold on let me fill you up
0: I love that. I love that. I I feel the same, but I also feel like there's this catchphrase, and maybe, um, maybe you could you could just expound a moment on this. Is, um, what you know? We use the term burnout, right? Like mm-hmm. burnout, like we're working too hard, too many shifts. Um, too many patients too much. And I'm talking for healthcare professionals and, and Mm -hmm. that's a lot and that's burned out and you're doing that. But do we often use the term burnout and kind of catch like trauma and all that into one? Or Mm -hmm. do you think there's like a
1: difference? I think, well, there is, I mean, I don't think that there's a difference. I think it all, you know, we're we're humans. We like to label things so we can understand things, right? I think that we're just one whole human trying to do the best that we can every day. And we're people too showing up to try and help other people. And how do you delineate your home life and the trauma you've experienced and then walk into a facility to take care of others and turn that off? You can't. You cannot, it's impossible to do that. It's, I mean, you can to get compartmentalized to a point and then it's going to pour over and your cup's going to get so filled from carrying that with you everywhere. It's going to spill.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I've learned more about this probably in the last few years and, you know, looking at it from a kind of an outside perspective. Um And, You know, it's funny, I've got some ideas that I think, you know, we could incorporate this into the healthcare world, Um, you know, even by just doing some mindfulness stuff, not just on the unit, but starting to incorporate breath work and starting to look at different things um, rather. And I think our, our, you know, I've dove into this leadership thing. I think nurse leaders are just kind of promoted up because they know, you know, they're not taught how to lead. And I I think they need to learn how to lead like good, you know, uh, sometimes I think the military commanders that are great leaders can see and spot their teams that are having problems or their person that needs to come off the front line. Like, Hey, this is, you know,
1: not shame them for it either.
0: No, no. That's
1: that's the one thing I notice is somebody gets burnt out and they go out and they're like, yeah, yeah. Somebody else is out. They're just going to milk the system, milk the system. Right. The system is put in place because they need it. They're not working yeah. anything. They need to take time off. They need to fill their cup up. They need to recover, recuperate, so they can take care of people in a better capacity.
0: I have this thing with, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like I watched the band, The Brothers Series. I don't know if you ever watched it. It was one of my favorite ones with the-, the, the, the you I've know, never
1: the, seen it. I don't watch, I almost never watch TV. I don't
0: have time. <laughs> It's a good thing to not, like it's, it was a problem. Like, Oh my God, like it's an escape for sure. But this one, you know, it's great. And the commanders there, like some of their best troops, they, they're like, they made it so they're like, here's a break that they didn't, like it was okay for them. And nobody thought differently around them because of their experience. And they're like, they work together to help themselves. I, I swear every leader should watch that and it would give watch them an it on how to translate. Mm-hmm. Like, I so encourage you, especially that you're working with the vets and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I thought it was just really fantastic because they touch a lot of different areas, but um, no, that that's awesome. Cause I, I, this is such a huge passion project. Cause like what, you know, what's funny. And I'm going to say this one more thing. It's like when we were going through COVID, like they treated nurses like we were like we were you know we're out there we're on the front lines right we're on the front lines doing the work and it's like there are signs like support our healthcare heroes supporting this like it really brought that in the midst of this chaos and i i was talking to it about that woman i was coaching and she was that professional and now covid's gone but do you see how like America like we still recognize our veterans for a war, right? Like we need to still identify the nurses that may have been through this, right? Like I'm starting yeah. to see like we should like in yeah. the the first responders and and mm-hmm. all of that. Like hey, they survived this. Like should get some some uh some national recognition and cuz it's it, go ahead
1: You know what I noticed too, and this is conversation that like I've had with a lot of my vets is they're like, you know, we signed up and went to war and that was for a short period of time. You guys are doing this day in and day out for day within your communities. There is no escape. We got to go to another country to war and then come home and have that delineage that change. That's there's a clear here and there you're in your communities doing the work every single day day. And to hear veterans say that all the the time when I talk to them, they're like, I could never do what you do. That to me speaks volumes. Like everybody needs the recognition that are, that are serving their communities and, you know, dealing with humanity at their worst.
0: I agree. It's one of my like passion projects more to come on that it's, it's, it's not quite a Costa Rican farmhouse, but that idea is in my head. I'm like, man, she's got this great like idea, you know, like it's the concept. Cause I always say that to myself. I'm like the, yeah. the state of affairs going on here. I'm like, where's my next, you know? So, yeah. um, so thank you so much for really coming on here and sharing your experience, opening up to it. Uh, to some, you know, hard things that you shared, some really personal things, but also sharing this message that at a time is received very differently. Um, But um, it's getting this word out and understanding some of the options that you shared. Is there anything here that you wanted to say? So any final words?
1: Uh, There's always resources. And sometimes they're not at your fingertips, you have to dig for them. And if somebody's out there reaching out to help, always accept the help. I know it can be really hard to do that. And I feel like that's one of the biggest barriers for people to say yes to it. Say yes to it without shame because you deserve it.
0: Oh, that's awesome. It it, it is one of the hardest things. I I did a whole episode, I think a whole podcast episode uh, live on it. Like the hardest thing for us to do is ask for help, right?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for for your time here today and sharing this. Where could people reach you if somebody's interested and had some questions?
1: LinkedIn is the number one place.
0: okay. and they could they could look up your name. I will put your yep. your um uh, your information from LinkedIn into the show notes for sure and um and Carly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing.
1: Thanks, Todd, for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: Awesome.